Hello, dear listener. I have something truly special to share. It's an exclusive invitation to join me in Mexico for an intimate and luxurious three-day retreat along the beautiful Pacific coast of Zihuatanejo, taking place the weekend of the spring equinox, March 18th through the 20th. There's also an optional day to stay through the 21st for some special ceremonies that are happening in the area for the equinox. But the retreat itself is the 18th through the 20th, really an opportunity not to be missed. And I'm offering one lucky listener a discounted ticket. On this weekend that I've, I've just been loving into being actually for several years now as COVID and you know everything, but when we conceived of building this place, our home down here it's really what we envisioned, you know, bringing people down here for retreats, for trainings, because we felt and we knew that this space was special. And as people keep coming down and we keep getting the feedback, how magical it is, we want to share it in a really intentional way. You know, be working with the four elements, earth, air, fire, water, the metaphors of the season will set sight on a new vision for our mothering journey and creating a deeper connection to self and mother nature. So to win a discounted ticket, rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts, screenshot it and DM it to me on Instagram at Dr. Gertrude Lyons. And remember, the most important thing to mother is yourself. Give yourself permission to take a retreat this year. Besides, who said mothers can't go on a spring break? I'll see you there. This is a Soul Fire production. Welcome to Mother. No, it's Mother. Welcome to Mother, the show where we can explore our inner mothers to actualize our greatest selves through interviews with incredible guests, live coaching sessions, and my own experiences. We're going to dive deep into embracing feminine values and reparenting ourselves. So be prepared to show up, hold space, and be mothered in a way you never have before, but have always needed. It's time we rewrite the Mud Her Code. Hi, and welcome to episode 41 of Mud Her, season two of Rewrite the Mother Code podcast. Today, I am very excited to be in conversation with and hosting Hunter Clark Fields on the Rewrite the Mother Code podcast. Hunter is just a really dedicated, lovely, lovely woman. She is an author. She's author of Raising Good Humans, A Mindful Guide to Breaking the Cycle of Reactive Parenting and Raising Kind, Confident Kids. How awesome is that, right? So she's also a Mindful Mama mentor and the creator of the Mindful Parenting Course. So this woman is hugely dedicated and has been dedicated to her own path of self-awareness, mindfulness. We resonated hugely around several topics. You know, what does it mean to, you know, really fully be ourselves, you know, as, as women, as mothers, as parents? How do we bring mindful practices into, you know, the tumult of, of mothering and parenting? And how is it possible to break longstanding generational trauma issues, things that really kind of get stirred up in the whole parenting realm? How do we do that? What does that look like? What are the benefits of it? So that and so, so much more. Without further ado, let's jump in. 
Well, I'm super excited about this episode because I have as a guest Hunter Clark Fields, and we're going to hear a whole lot about her, but welcome Hunter. And then I'm going to share a little bit about you. And then I'm going to ask you to share more about yourself, but I do want to first just at least say welcome. Thanks, Gertrude. I'm so happy to be here. (laughs) Great. Well, we're going to get to know Hunter in a number of ways, but just to mention a couple things, Hunter's a mindful mama mentor. She's the author of the book, Raising Good Human. A Mindful Guide to Breaking the Cycle of Reactive Parenting and Raising Kind, Confident Kids. How beautiful is that? All right. So helping parents bring more calm and peace in their daily lives, 20 years of experience in meditation practices, teaching mindfulness to thousands of people worldwide, and then bringing this to the the mom sphere specifically in mama mentoring and mindful parenting courses. So welcome again, Hunter. Yay, yay, yay for all of that. Yay. Yay. So, and all of your, you know, we'll have even more about you in the show notes and, and bio, but I would love to, you know, personally, and I know my audience will be interested to hear about you and your journey, right? So how did you come to author this book and have these courses? And if you could share a little bit about that journey for you professionally, personally, it's all fair ground. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's fair to say like this, all this work comes out of what I was pretty bad at, I think it's fair to say. I mean, for me, the mindfulness came first in my life and that I was like this really, um, I'm like a highly sensitive person. I was really, I would be kind of like up and down kind of roller coaster emotionally. Mm-hmm. And my life was always like that. And I remember my father saying to me one time, you know, when I was 10 or 11, I was, I had been crying and he was rubbing my back and he said, you know, Hunter, he said, life is going to always be like this. This is just your artistic nature. And I was like, wow, that sucks. Like, oh, great. You oh. know, thanks dad. So comforting, yes. <laughs> but he was right. And I realized that I needed some tools pretty quickly. I started reading and studying about mindfulness and Buddhism when I was a teenager. Mm. And it really was when I started a regular meditation practice in my twenties that I was finally able to kind of like calm this like roller coaster of mm. life for me. I mean, I, I was able to get so much more equanimity and I just didn't fall into these sort of like pits that I would fall into for, you know, all of my life, 27 years of my life until then, it, it was, was this really huge game changer for me. And then a couple of years later, I got pregnant and I thought, oh my goodness. I remember I was like sitting in this like sangha, which is a group of a circle of people practicing mindfulness. I have my big pregnant belly. I rubbed that belly. And I thought, oh, you know, like we got this. This is going to be such a calm baby. Like, look, I'm meditating and <laughs> she's here. Like, this is just going to be amazing. <laughs> Uh, yeah. You know, it's like, yes, you, I know. Yeah. Keep going. You make plants <laughs> and God laughs. And she, of course, was like really highly sensitive kid, everything from the very beginning. It was sort of fast and furious and it was really challenging. So, uh, I mean, this is what we all encounter, right? That it sure. is so much more challenging than we think it's going to be. And I was struggling and I, I knew, you know, even when she was a baby, like I knew that I needed to take care of myself. Like I had learned that lesson. So I would take her to like the childcare at the YMCA. I would get my exercise in, but it was when she was like around 18 months too, and started talking back and that whole thing that I discovered this like 
rage that came out of me, like this mm. intense anger. And I would just get so triggered by her. And I, I really realized, you know, it, it was this wake up call for me. I realized it was like my father's anger coming out of me. You know, it was the same yeah. thing. I could see it. It was like a generational pattern. My, you know, when I had those big upset feelings when I was a kid, you know, I was given the message that that was completely unacceptable right? Mm -hmm. Like from my father's anger. And so totally. then I passed down that I was passing, I could see like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm doing the same thing he did because it feels so unacceptable to me. And it was like exactly what I didn't want to do. This was the most important thing in my life to me at this point, you know, it just was like, I, you know, I remember like crying on the floor outside her room. I had scared her and she was upset. I remember thinking I'm a terrible mom. Mm. and just feeling incredibly terrible. And, you know, there wasn't really anywhere to go from there. Like I was either going to sit there in a puddle or I had to learn some lessons from this. Yeah. And so everything I do kind of stems from that, like how, that how to experience. calm that yeah. reactivity, how to communicate better. Oh, I, I love that. You know, there's so many things in what you just shared, but particularly I want to underline, you know, how, what we're doing now comes from our personal experience, right? And usually the things that we struggled with, but then found a way with, or, you know, decided to take on, you know, mindfully and consciously and learn something that we then hope to convey to others, right? Not so, you know, yeah, partly because we'd love for them not to make the same mistake, but I think what we're going to get at is that how much more what you learned about yourself, what you learned and, and found possible in the journey, you know, just even, you know, up to what you shared and, you know, how you took from where you had been and, you know, the muscles you had built. And then those muscles got, you know, way more challenged than you expected. <laughs> and that's okay. Right. I think that's what you're trying to say too. It's like, that's going to happen. You know, that, that is okay. But then what can I learn about myself? You know, you, you know, we're aware and able to pinpoint that, oh, this is a generational pattern, you know, and I don't want to pass this on, you know, and I have choice about passing this on and there are things I can do about this, you know, and, and I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. So then, you know, what did that journey look like to, yeah, I think it's so interesting. And I, and I like to share this story because like, I was a pretty competent person, you know, like mm -hmm. at that point, like I had been able to, you know, make the grades in school and, you know, gone to grad school. I had, you know, at that point I had a painting career and, you know, had work and shows in New York, you know, like I was a person who was able to get things done in life. Like I'm sure your listener is, you know, like a lot of totally. your listeners are like highly competent, highly capable people. And we're used to achieving things in life. And then we get to this thing that everybody, you know, like are a so lot of people, people are do. doing yeah. and it's like, oh, wait a minute. Like how, how can, why can I just not choose how I want to respond here? You know what I mean? Yeah. How can I not, why is it that I can't just decide how I want to parent my child? And then it happens. It's a whole different thing. Like it's a whole different ball game. We are dealing with our um, upbringing. We may have traumas that are generational that are like literally sure. like have changed our DNA we have a nervous system that is like triggered for fight or flight or freeze that, you know, is wired for that reactivity. So there's like a kind of a lot stacked up here. And so I think it's really important to share that because mm -hmm. there's like a shame around it. Like, you know, if I, you yell at your kids, like there's a shame around that because none of us want to do that. None of us right. like wake up in the morning and are like, oh, I think I'm going to yell at that little bit. 
you know, right at like 2 p.m. I'm just going to freak out at them. Like no one does that. So you know, it's like, we don't want to. And so, and it's really important to understand that biology. So for me at that point, yeah, I dove into learning, dove into parenting learning, and I started listening. Big shout out to Todd and Kathy Adams and Parenting Radio. They, are, they mm. were great teachers of mine and a whole bunch of other teachers. But what I really, I really got to this like, yes, yes, that's what I want to do. I want to do that. I want to parent this way. But how? How, mm. how, how, how is my question. <laughs> and I got really frustrated with some parenting coaches out there where the instruction was like, respond this way, <laughs> you know, right. just respond oh, so with way. you on this. Yes, please. Keep going. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and I couldn't remember any of those good things to say or better ways to respond when I was triggered. It just was like not happening. And then of course I found out, you know, about the neuroscience behind that, that you're, it's actually not even accessible in your brain at that moment. So like what that all was missing was all this work with mindfulness that I had started and previously in my life that I really needed to now pick pick back up yeah. again in a major way. Because what happens with a mindfulness practice is that it really helps to calm our nervous system to help us be less reactive, how it helps us get that place between stimulus and response to choose. Mm -hmm. And it does that what's amazing about it, it does that by like literally reshaping the brain, right? We, we build a, a muscle to, to be able to uh, calm that reactivity. And so that's what kind of like, and understanding those triggers and also this big piece of self-compassion, like that was all missing from what I was learning from all these yeah. wonderful, well-meaning parenting coaches who are teaching communication. They just needed to come together. So that's what mm. I do in mindful parenting is I bring together mindfulness. I bring together self-compassion. I bring that together with communication because honestly, mindfulness is not enough. It's not enough to just say, I'm just going to calm my reactivity because then, and I know this because I made this mistake, <laughs> that you calm down and then like you say something dumb that your parents might've said and your, your highly sensitive child is triggered all over again. So they need, you need both of them. They really need each other. You know, it, it really is. I think of mindfulness and communication as sort of the skillful communication as the two wings we need okay. to fly. Oh, I love that image. I'm, I'm always such an image person, right? Like that makes so much sense, like these two wings and how we need both and how we can't just you know, identify the reactivity, then what do I do? Like what, you know, what can I, and what do I do in that moment? Something that I was thinking about, and I'd love to get your perspective on is, you know, similarly, I, what I could totally relate, you, you can see my face. I was like, yes, you know, so many things that tell you like what to do, but even attachment parenting and like some of these like lovely things, like if I didn't get that growing up, like, and then I'm just supposed to like, oh, you know, make eye contact and, you know, have these, you know, this loving connection with your child when I don't even know how to do that for myself or never got that. And then, you know, it's like, it's, it's to do that. You're supposed to mm -hmm. just be able to do like, and like what you're saying too, like, well, just say this when they, you know, respond, forgetting you have this whole, you know, amygdala, hijack, yeah, it's like you know, responses and, and all of that, right? Like all of that's going on that we need to, to tend to, but I want to hear what you think about, because one of the ways we look at applying that, you know, and being with that reactivity for our own, you know, growth and development is, that in our upbringing, you know, we have this unfinished business, we have, you know, wounds, you know, our, our personal triggers, but that just what you're talking about, this mindfulness, and then, you know, the, the being with it and 
you know, bringing it to focus can actually heal the generational patterns, right? And we use a model called the right developmental model where, you know, we are aware that we have developmental gaps when we can learn about that and find like, you know, a reactive moment, but that's actually a time. It's a gift. It's a time, you know, that for my healing, right. And that we can, in this relationship with our children, have our own healing while we're providing the best intentional environment as we can. So I'd love to hear, you know, that, because the word that really stuck out, you know, for me, or one to bring to focus was our own, you know, healing in this, in this interaction. Yeah, absolutely. So one of my greatest teachers is the Zen master Thich Nhat Hanh, who's a Vietnamese um, Buddhist monk. You know, he was nominated by Martin Luther King Jr. for a Nobel Peace Prize in the seventies, incredible author, activist. And, and one of my favorite sayings of his is no mud, no lotus. <laughs> And I love No Mud, No Lotus because we look at these challenges and these things that we just like want them to go away because they're so difficult and uncomfortable. And and we don't, of course, we don't want to like yell at our kids and be upset and we don't want any of that. But the truth is No Mud, No Lotus. We need the poop. We need rotten, rotten, desiccated vegetables, you know, like we need all the garbage, right? Like a good gardener knows you need all this garbage and, and you need this rotten material. And from that rotten, nasty mud, that's where the seed of the flower is nourished, right? And it's the same which for, goes against our so much of our oh, thinking, yeah. right? Like that seed's supposed to be in like, I don't know, sanitized. <laughs> I, I don't know, some <laughs> picture we have of like what that container for that seed is. But so I, I just really want to underline what you just said. No, it's 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 the mess, it's the dirt, it's it's, you it's know, the poop. The those yeah, those the poop. The, <laughs> those gardeners, they go and buy some of themselves some poop from like stables <laughs> and stuff. It's pretty amazing. It really is the poop. We need to have these challenges mm-hmm. so that we can grow. Otherwise, we don't have we we if we're never have these challenges, we sit up on a high horse, we become judgmental of others. These things give us compassion for ourselves and compassion for others and, and compassion for our children. You know, mm-hmm. when we start to see this is hard. I am just like you. I am just like you. I suffer just like you. I have done made mistakes that I don't like just like you. You know, what any human being is capable of, you know, that's within that range for me too. And so when we can acknowledge that we have this full range from the ugly to the beautiful within us, then, you know, we can't, we have to like, uh, there's a saying I also like to walk with your shadow in front of you. And the idea is like when our shadow is behind us and we want to push it away and we run from it, it gets bigger, it's scary. We don't want to look at it. But when we walk with our shadow in front of us, we say, ah, yes, I'm human. I've got these things. I've got some ugly stuff inside, you know, that, that is within my past, my heart, my emotions, like this is part of what it is to be a, you know, a human being on earth. And when we can accept that, it's only when we can accept that, that we can do anything about it. You know, yeah. we can't do anything about it. We, if we can't accept it. When we can accept it, we can say, ah, yes, you know, okay. And we can have some compassion from ourse- for ourselves. And when we have some compassion, we say, this is hard. I'm not living up to my standard. It, you know, I'm not feeling the way I want to be. We can say, okay, what do I need to learn? What do I need yeah. to learn from this? And then that's, that's 
that's the start of all the healing. That's half the process is just being able to look at it, to being brave enough to be uh, acknowledge and accept what's there is like half the battle, you know, in meditation and in mindfulness where we're acknowledging what's arising in the mind, right? In that whole process, we're acknowledging, ah, oh, thoughts, oh, anxiety, oh, planning, you know, <laughs> we're acknowledging those things. And as we acknowledge them, as you, as you know, like, it's kind of like, oh, then that whole, you know, that whole path is just disappears kind of like it just floats away, like with that acknowledgement. And rather than kind of a rumination that goes spiraling down and down and down, you just chop, you've just interrupted that whole pattern in its path just by simply acknowledging and accepting what's there. It's very, very powerful tool. I love that the awareness and how that is just so much more of the game than any of us, you know, realize, or, you know, we make it a lot harder, but bringing things to consciousness and awareness like that, and then naming it and that shifts things, whether we do anything else, you know, beyond that, that so shifts things. I'm wondering if you have any, like either for you personally or in your coaching practice, you know, don't have to put you personally on the spot, but either one have an example, like either a situation or something where, you know, we can kind of get the, the, a picture of this in, in real time. Hi, I'm so excited to share with you my 2024 Spring Equinox Self-Mothering Retreat that's happening this March, 2024. And I would love for you not only to consider it, but to attend. But in considering it, hey, just knowing that you would be leaving cold weather if that's the space that you're in and coming down to just magnificently beautiful, warm, nourishing place of Zihuatanejo, Mexico. Zihuatanejo, meaning land of the goddess women, and coming to really take time for yourself, okay? And that I am learning more and more isn't just a nice thing to do or something extravagant or something selfish. It's essential. And I really want you to take it seriously to consider, you know, just think about what would it take for me to go? It's a five and a half day retreat getting from where you are, getting there, landing there, and then being in a space that is all about you. It's all about nourishing you. It's all about tuning into you, using everything around us, the nature, the food, the beautiful people, the rituals, ceremonies. I bring it, you know, we really bring it. And we go deeper and deeper as the days go on and we release, we let go, we bring in what is nourishing, what is empowering, what is that space of just really divine feminine energy. And we do it in the community of women. It's not for everyone, I will be honest, you know, if that idea of leaving and not making it work or it's just too hard, not for you. If the idea of, you know, spending that amount of time inwardly focused and going to that level of self-awareness doesn't sound like something you're willing to do or put the time and energy into, then it's not for you. And it's good to know that, right? So this is for people who are serious about what it means to mother themselves, what it means to take time for ourselves and that gift and what that gift can bring to us. It was originally right after my fall retreat, it filled right up. But now some people, it turns out, are not able to come. So I do have a handful of openings. And if you're listening to this and you're willing to take that step, please reach out to me. We can do a discovery call or you can put a deposit down. I would love that. And you can do that by going to my website, www.drgertrudelyons.com. 
G-E-R-T-R-U-D-E-L-Y-O-N-S.com. Go to events and there you go. It'll all be there. There's a beautiful page there for you to explore. I look forward to hearing from you and then seeing you on my spring retreat. Well, I think that, I mean, I can share my own examples, but, but just one of the things that as far as acknowledgement goes, what I want, what I teach in mindful parenting is a lot of like acknowledging of what's happening. Acknowledgement is a huge piece, you know, saying what you see for what's happening. So if you go into a situation where kids are fighting and it's a mess, oh my goodness, you're yelling you're yelling. This is a mess. There's stuff everywhere. Just saying that out loud, it just kind of who takes that temperature down just a couple notches, which is great. You know, Mm -hmm. for me, acknowledgement can be a way to shift from unskillful language to more skillful language, even in a really, really heated moment. So the last time my daughter really, really triggered me, that was, she found something new. (laughs) It was when my youngest one was nine and we had been watching, if we'd have family movie night, and at the end, she didn't want to go to bed. It was like that whole like manic late at night thing. And so I'm like, okay, I'm just going to ignore this behavior, go to bed, whatever. I don't need to acknowledge this. And then she just did something and I forget what she said or did, but then she started laughing at me and it was like, wow, <laughs> it was like totally. the volcano erupted. It just like triggered something in me, you know, being laughed at was like, woo, Oof. I was brought back to, back to something. And yeah. I, <laughs> I remember I'm trying to like read my library book and I was like, okay, this is not working. <laughs> I really, really triggered right now. So I stood up and I, and I yelled, but I yelled skillfully. And this is where that acknowledgement comes in. I'm feeling so angry right now. <laughs> And I slammed the door and I walked outside through my library book onto the driveway, poor library book. But it took me a good 20 minutes to cool off, like walking up and down the street. But the that piece that I had been practicing and training in for so long, which was just saying what you see, acknowledging what's here. Yeah. It allowed me, even in a moment where I was like way over triggered to just say something that wasn't harmful, not blameful, Mm -hmm. not, you know, just to say something skillful instead of that. And that, 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 you know, acceptance and acknowledgement there saved me, I think, from making a, you know, doing something worse. It's such a a powerful example, Hunter. And I, I want to break it down a little bit because even though you're saying it, like all of the work I had done to have that, have that moment. Right. And because one, you know, having the wherewithal in the heat of the moment to use a skill that you've been practicing is like Olympic gold worthy. Right. (laughs) Like, and you know, so one, I want to acknowledge you, you know, for that. And some of my say like, Oh, what's the big deal? She just said she was angry and got up like, no, it is such a huge deal. <laughs> and to, as you said, the skillful anger, like you're not denying your anger, you know, you're not trying to, you know, I mean, you were a little, you know, or just like, I'm just going to pretend this isn't happening until she hit, you know, the, and there are kids know, like they'll keep going sometimes until they find that point. Right. And, you know, so then, you know, that shot it way up. And yeah, like you were angry. You were probably hurt. I'm going to, excuse me for saying something. Not oh, yeah, yeah. armchair. Feelings. I love this. Yeah. Um, <laughs> is sometimes under our anger, uh, we have hurt and fear, you know, oh, so sure. I, I, it brought up that hurt, right. You named that, like you said, like, I don't know what it was, but I'm over here thinking like, Oh, like, ouch, you know, I'm sure there was like, you know, something hurtful from your past or whatever. So hurt, 
And sometimes we can tend to that piece. You could have said that, like you hurt my, I feel very hurt right now. Either way, like the saying that I'm angry and then taking yourself, you know, giving yourself a timeout, so to speak, you know, it's mm -hmm. not denying it, you know, in some of the neuroscience, right. You know, the name it to tame it, right. Like that mm -hmm. amygdala hijack and some, yeah. just how powerful it is of a skill to name that in the moment and then go tend to yourself so that we can bring ourselves back to our frontal lobe, right. Like bring us back to some higher functioning so we can then kind of deal with the situation. So it's a such a beautiful, powerful example, but then I can see, but you also teased up this other work, like, well, what is that hurt? You know, ouch, like that is a hurt I need to then tend to for myself so that I can take that into my coaching. You know, I can, I don't have to work that out with her, you know, mm -hmm. that's mine, but that's the gift she gave you in that, you know, and, and like you said earlier, it isn't just about fixing, you know, that problem and finding that tool that'll, you know, handle our kids. It's like, no, like then I can take that gift and, and go work with it. And my own healing, you know, can come about with it. And then one other thing I want to name on unpacking this is, you know, on our journey to, cause you're at like kind of expert level with that, you know, Olympic level with being able to name it in the moment, naming it later, you know, like we may like break down and just kind of like say the mean thing to our child, you know, but we can later come back to and say, you know, I realized that, you know, something else was going on with me. I, I was hurt. You know, you don't have to like go full into like what you learned, but just naming that you acknowledge that, you know, the, the calling you the name wasn't like, you know, my highest and best in, in that situation. And we can still repair the breach, right? We can, we can go back and repair it the next day, hours later, days later, week later, you know, that yeah. time doesn't really matter. So I'm wondering if you've had experience with that also. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think we tend to forget sometimes with kids that this is a relationship, just like any other relationship, you know, and yep. it's a relationship that needs tending, you know, you need to, I, I think we need to kind of like go out on dates, like with our kids and, you know, yes. and, you know, cultivate closeness when there's some disconnection and just like in a friendship or just like with your partner. Yeah. If you did something that wasn't so skillful and you need to apologize, there's never a time limit on that. There's never a time limit on that. We can always go back and say, you know, hey, I'm sorry. I had an experience when my oldest daughter was six. We went on a retreat with Thich Nhat Hanh on, on the last time he came to the United States. And it was a big retreat with a bunch of people. We camped out. It was pretty cool. Yeah. But we had this experience and, and I was taught and I've learned that tool many times. And it's a tool I bring into mindful parenting. And then it's a tool of beginning anew. And mm -hmm. what we did is there was parents and children. We all sat in a circle and we took a flower. I took a flower and I put it in front of my daughter, Maggie. And first I, I watered her flowers. <laughs> mm. So I told her what I appreciated about her and, you know, just did a little flower watering, we'll call it. Mm. And then, and then I expressed my regrets and I, mm. I ride my little eyes out and I said, mm. I expressed how sorry I was for the times I had yelled at her and scared her. And it was so, you know, and for me, it was expressing an apology for all these times when I was little, where I, at that point, I felt somewhat blocked in, in doing that. Like we don't, for some reason, we don't feel like we should do that with our kids. And I, it came out and it was such a cleansing experience. You know, it was a way for yeah. us to literally begin anew, you know, from this moment, we had this cleanse, cleansing, healing moment, and then we could begin anew from here. And I truly believe that we can begin anew in any moment. You know, we can bring kindness and curiosity, right? Like those are the mindsets of mindfulness, kindness, curiosity to, 
each moment and say, okay, you know, can I bring kindness to myself instead of judgment, right? Can I bring curiosity to what's really going on for me? And that's, that's really how we heal things. If we start to understand it, we understand and we look at deeply, but with kindness, right? We don't look at yeah. deeply and, and cynically or clinically. We look at it with kindness and that, that is really the healing. It's like the healing salt water of our hearts. Mm. <laughs> Uh, that's such a beautiful, uh, and I, you know, thanks for sharing that example. And because I think that's a, a real big, I've named it as one of the myths in mothering that it's not okay to have our feelings with our children. I think that you know, oh, kind of yeah. dominates in our culture. And I make the distinction, like it's not okay to have irresponsible feelings and emotions with our children, but our genuine you know, feelings and you being so present, you know, with this, you know, regret and sharing from your heart like that, like what a gift. Right. And, and then we're also, you know, teaching, training them that our feelings are okay, you know, and, and they're beautiful yes. and we can learn and we may not always be responsible with them, but we can learn to. So thank you. I think that I would love, you know, that myth to be broken so badly. So I, was there more you wanted to say about that? No, it's yeah, absolutely. I agree. You know, in so in mindful parenting, I teach communication skills, and we teach I teach people how to express themselves honestly and authentically to to create. You know, have like a, be more effective, and being more effective in a lot of cases means letting your kids know how something they did affected you. You know, affected your ability to get around in your life, and how it made you feel. And sometimes parents feel worried about that. You know, moms feel worried like, oh, am I putting my feelings on my child? Am I making them responsible for my feelings? The truth is that we inter are with our kids. We live with them and all human beings, we are interdependent. You know, we're not fully independent. No human being is fully independent. Nothing is, right? So we are interdependent with each other. And so they're going to know that what they do affects us. And if we we lie about that, like that, you know what I mean? Or try to hold that back. They get that message. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, you're right. We want to be responsible, but we can be honest and authentic without giving them all our baggage, right? We can all take totally. responsibility for our stuff, but we can be honest. And that is what you're talking about. There is that's the middle path, right? It's like, we're not denying, we're not putting it all on you, but mm -hmm. we're, we're taking responsibility, but we're also being authentic and, and our kids have incredible BS meters. So mm -hmm. you might as well, because they can see right through those lies. <laughs> it's amazing, isn't it? We don't give them enough credit, you know, uh, sometimes for their capacity. And yeah, I'm so glad to have you underline that. So I think we've been in this arena, just maybe not as explicitly. So I'd like to kind of make it more explicit, but something that I know we both, you know, feel strongly about, but I want to hear you talk more about like, what does it look like? What is putting our own needs first and how that helps our kids? So like, what, what is putting our own needs first mean to you, you know, and, and what does that mean in relationship with our kids and just kind of, you know, let's, let's, oh, because we, it's been our whole conversation, but now we can, you know, make it explicit. I mean, Gertrude, you know how I feel about this. Like <laughs> it just drives me bananas. Their whole mommy martyr culture. I really do yes. think it really is the remnants of all this patriarchal women not being valued 
BS that we have just inherited and it's just kind of in the water around us, right? We swim in it. And so many women feel guilty for like taking care of their needs. Like if you have a baby and, and you need a a full night's sleep, you, a lot of women may feel guilty about, you know, having their child maybe sleep in a separate space from them and, and all those things, or even Mm -hmm. saying, or even having bodily autonomy, moms feel guilty about saying, no, I don't want to be touched right now, you know? Mm -hmm. And so many ways, like taking care of our needs, talking to our partners about all these things. And it, it drives me batty because it's when we do this, it's not good for anyone. It's not for good for our kids. We give our kids a lesser version of ourselves and really giving our kids the best version of ourselves is the best thing we can give them better than vacations and toys. And, you know, it's so much better for you to take that, maybe whatever it is, that hour to go to the gym and have that time for yourself and have your kid. Yeah. They're going to reach out for you. Yeah. They're going to, that's their job, but to have them miss you a little bit, then that's fine for them. And it's good for kids to have a good attachment relationships with lots of other people, grandparents and caregivers and fathers. And we need that, you know, I feel really strongly about this. You know, it's funny mm-hmm. because I have a lot of clients who come to me and with these challenges, and we need to recognize that our self-care is not only not selfish, it is actually our responsibility. Like yeah. it is our job to take care of our needs, make sure our needs are met. It's our job to make sure we're fulfilled. It's our job to heal our stuff. Like that's all our, our work. It's not our job to, to deplete ourselves just for the sake of like being in the same presence as our kids. Cause then mm-hmm we can't model. And that's really what we do best is, is modeling. You know, my mom, this is something that was not a challenge for me. Like my mom was pretty, she had her challenges, but you know, and, and I see some, some ways where she's pretty like, uh, you know, pretty traditional in some ways. But I remember, you know, when I was a kid, one thing she did was she, we had, we lived in, we had like a lower middle-class household. We basically lived more or less on her nursing salary, but she, you know, she went and took herself to horseback riding lessons every week for years. I spent all this time at the barn and that's not, it's not really like a super inexpensive sport, but it was never a question. It was never like a a debate or a question. It was just like, she did that for herself. And that was her thing that she did. And I munched on a big carrot and sat in the the barn and pet the horses. And Mm -hmm. that was fine. There was no question of like, oh no, what's going to happen? And and I feel like that was such a powerful role modeling for me to say like, yes, like her needs mattered. Like this thing that just simply gave her pleasure and time for herself, that mattered, that was important. It was never in question. And I really appreciate that example from her. Wow. As you know, like resonate with you on the passion around this and just feel like the implications of us, you know, living in this outdated paradigm is, is hugely costly to ourselves and the world and, you know, how we need to get educated in it enough so that we can start making the choices. But then this, what a gift your mom gave you, right? To, you know, everything that you mentioned, you know, an activity that wasn't cheap given, you know, what she does so that 
the typical paradigm would be like, oh, I should give my daughter horseback riding lessons, you know, and then I'll sit and watch like, you know, yearning to do it myself, but no, you know, she should have it. And, you know, maybe if you would ask if I could have them too, she might've, but that's not the point. You know, she, she picked something that she knew she wanted to do and she did it and she brought you along like awesome, you know, and, and the education that you were getting, whether she was conscious of it or not, you know, wherever that came from for her, like awesome way to go. And then you get to build on that, you know, and, and you're aware of what that gave you, you know, and how, you know, you saw a woman value herself. And I think that's the big thing. Like if we're not valuing ourselves enough, then we think our value comes from like giving it all to our kids, you know, or, yes. you know, to something because we haven't learned to value ourselves enough, you know, and then we feel needed by them. And kind of like what you said, when they get upset that you're going off to do this thing for you, that we're like, oh, what will happen if they don't need me anymore? And I think that's something that, you know, gets in the way for women to actually make that choice is they feel like they're going to lose something rather than, you know, gain not only their children's respect, but their own nourishment, their own, you know, development of their value. And also our kids need us to fail them <laughs> yes. like in, in all these myriad of ways throughout their life. Like we we cannot meet every one of their needs and we should not be meeting every one of their needs. No. Otherwise we're going to end up with like the, the college counselors call the sort of generation of kids who've been helicopter parented. They call them teacup kids oh, because they're that's... like fragile little teacups that can't handle life in college. You know, yes. like your kids need you to say, no, make your own lunch or whatever it is like, you know, to have some, some boundaries to not be there every second. They need to, they need practice in that. That's life. It's not like we have to manufacture, you know, mm -hmm. random hardships for them. No, but we can have, we can take care of our own needs and we can take care of our kids' needs. And when we take care of our own needs, we model valuing ourselves. You know, we have to think like, do you want your kids to be self-sacrificing when they're older? Is that what you want for them? Mm -hmm. that, don't do that in front of them. Stop <laughs> it. They mm -hmm. are terrible at doing what we say, but they are really great at doing what we do. Yeah. So you have to live what you want your kids to learn. I love that. It's, I, I, cannot agree more. And, you know, the other thing that comes to mind and kind of added to my repertoire of like, you know, in parent coaching and training, the active parenting model, and they did, you know, it was like a six week course or whatever. One of the big things that I took from that and that image, like still, and I think it just, if there's, like I said, I love images, the one around the butterfly coming out of the cocoon, right? Have mm. you this one and refresh me. And now I even want to say, and I just could be so wildly off. Like it was someone who like <laughs> Thich Nhat Hanh or someone like that also that like, you know, it's someone of that caliber that I think brought this forward, but, you know, imagining, you know, watching a butterfly come out of its and you see it like just struggling, you know, and you're like, oh, like just, yeah. you know, you could just watching it. You're kind of like, oh you know, they watched it struggle like that. And so then when the next butterfly went to, you know, come out of its cocoon, the person like helped them, right? They're like, well, you shouldn't have to like work so hard at that. Like here, let me like, kind of like, you know, peel this away for you. Let me like, I, it's uncomfortable for me to see you, you know, struggling like this. So I'll help you uh, oh. with this. And yeah, as you can imagine, like, so what happens when that when they did that is the butterfly came out and just like fell to the ground because that whole 
act of getting itself out of the cocoon was what built the muscles yes. that it, that struggle, that pain that like, you know, and just, you know, was what brought like the, got the like blood flowing in its veins, built the muscles so that when it was finally through, it actually could fly. And mm. like, like uh, if, you know, that course was worth its weight in gold just for me to like hold I that image for that. myself. But I, cause I think it brings in both, right. The, like, also like as a culture, how hard we are to, we think pain is bad. You know, we just mm-hmm. <laughs> pain is bad from childbirth on, like, you know, the whole goal is to get rid of it, you know, mm-hmm. medicate it, like dampen it, minimize it where, you know, not like suffering, not like, you know, brought on like, you know, physical injury, but you know, our emotional pain is important. We need to let our kids, just as you're saying, we need to let them struggle. You know, I'm just giving a visual to what you were saying around the importance of them failing, the importance of them, you know, working hard at something, you know, and, and not like taking it away from them because they're having a hard time with it. So I, my, it's my way of like, just yeah, taking that no, point home. Hunter. I love <laughs> so that. Important. Yeah. yeah. Like r- growth is outside our comfort zone. It's by right. definition uncomfortable yes. and we're, yeah, we're a culture that's all about comfort. And it's interesting. Like one of the th- places parents really struggle is homework, right? Like, yes. <laughs> can we let our sixth grader fail? at something like, can it be their problem? Cause homework, I have to say parents like moms, homework is not your problem. Nope. Not your problem. It's your kid's problem. It's between your child and the teacher and you can be a helper. You know, you can be a supporter, but it's not your problem. And it's so hard. I get it. It is so hard for us to let go and let some consequences happen, but it's so much better for our kids to fail and learn from something in sixth grade than it is in like when they're 20 in college or whatever, you know, we need to, they need to we need to let them fail at some things. Mm-hmm. We can be helpers. We don't have to put up obstacles, right. but we, we don't, we, you're right. You're absolutely right. And, and there, there's that challenging and what that requires from us mm-hmm. is important is that it requires us to be steady, our nervous system, to steady mm-hmm. our hearts, to be that calm grounding presence that they can return to. And that's all the work of the healing and, and the, the grounding that you talk about. I love it. So two more things I want to do. One is I want to let my audience know like how they can find out more about you and your mindfulness coaching, your book, your podcast, you know, all that good stuff. And then I want to, you know, close with one more thing. So we'll of course have it in the show notes, but I like, would love to hear from you some of the ways. Sure. You know, you can find Raising Good Humans anywhere on audiobook and wherever you find books and listen to the Mindful Mama podcast. We have some amazing guests coming up. It's Dr. Gertrude Lyons coming <laughs> up at some point in the future. And and we have over like, you know, 290 episodes, uh, 300 episodes or so at the moment that, so we have an amazing guest going back. It's a great resource. And if you're interested in mindful parenting or learning about what we do, I also do a teacher training. That's all at mindfulmamamentor.com. And no, oh yeah, one more. I'll give you Instagram. Tell me what you think of this episode and what your takeaways are at mindfulmamamentor. Love that. Those are so beautiful. And I, I know we could keep going and I'd love to, cause I've loved my conversations and our resonance with each other. So in closing, like one last comment as a way both to kind of, you know, help our listeners, like discover a way they can mother themselves. Cause I'm all about, you know, and we're all about valuing and mothering ourselves. 
what is a way that you mother yourself that maybe some of our, our listeners could take on either as a practice or a thought or one kind of practical and like, what does that mean to you? Well, for me, mothering and taking care of myself means offering myself both challenge and ease. <laughs> and I so I wake up in the morning and I say thank you to the universe. And I do my meditation practice every morning and I exercise some point throughout the day. And I do pretty challenging workouts. Sometimes I, I like do these like body pump where I'm like pressing up like this barbell. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I so it. I challenge myself and I have, and I'm pretty rigorous, but also offer myself ease and comfort in ways that, you know, I, I don't, we don't always have to be like growing outside our comfort zone. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like we can, exactly. all, we, we can have that balance of also inviting in that ease. So like reading a novel where mm -hmm. an ending, you know, is not going to be like just terribly destructive and heart-wrenching, like read something with a happy ending, you know, <laughs> watching comedy. I've been a big, much bigger fan of comedy than I ever was. Yeah. And just giving myself permission to have things that make me laugh and feel good as well also in my day. So, so those are the ways I mother myself at the moment. Those are beautiful Hunter and, you know, doable, but like, you know, would take mindfulness and practice to do, but I, I love the combo of the, how did you say it? Ease and growth and ease. Growth and ease. <laughs> yeah. Growth and ease. Uh, so beautiful. Well, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. I can't wait to get this out to, to everybody. I know we're, they're going to love it. I have, so I can't imagine that they won't. So thank you again. Thank you. And thank you so much for, thank you for having me. Thank you for having the podcast, for sharing your voice. It's really beautiful. I, I really appreciate, you know, everything you say, and I'm so glad we've been able to connect like this. So Great thank time. you so much. Thank you so much for choosing yourself and taking the time to listen to this podcast. As always, please rate, review, and subscribe to mother. Wait, no, subscribe to mother her. It helps other people who need this message, aka all women. Well, actually everybody, men included. I'm honored to have you on this journey in mothering yourself. Remember, change is uncomfortable, but it's beautiful and it starts with us. And if you can't wait until next week's episode, follow me on Instagram and LinkedIn at Dr. Gertrude Lyons or at my website, drgertrudelyons.com. I'll see you next time.